0: is Core Discovery. Hello and welcome to this episode of Core Discovery with me, Abigail Acton. The United Nations report published in March 2023 is very clear when it says, in this decade, accelerated action to adapt to climate change is essential to close the gap between existing adaptation and what is needed. Meanwhile, keeping warming to 1.5 degrees C above pre-industrial levels requires deep, rapid and sustained greenhouse gas emissions reductions in all sectors. Emissions should be decreasing by now and will need to be cut by almost half by 2030 if warming is to be limited to 1.5 degrees C. So today we're looking at biofuels and their role in helping us to meet those goals. A biofuel is a fuel that comes from biomass. Frequently produced as an organic waste from other processes, Biomasses themselves can be hard to dispose of, heading for landfill, or incineration. Using the waste as an energy source is particularly elegant. You take the waste that is all too often part of the problem when it comes to disposal, and you break it down to get gas, which is then used as fuel. Neat, huh? Here to talk through what can be used, how it's done, and what the result can be, are three people involved in projects which have received EU support. Petteri Salonen is the CEO of Finrenes, a Finnish company that is working on turning wood and plant fibre waste into biomethane and fuel pellets. They have a new approach to breaking down fibre, often agricultural waste, which is attracting attention globally. Hello, Abigail.
1: It's nice to be here.
0: Lovely to have you. Yurai Asensio is based at the Spanish water management company Aqualia's Department of Innovation and Technology. His expertise is in wastewater treatment, bioenergy generation, using bioelectrochemical and electrochemical technologies to extract energy from sewage sludge. Welcome, Yurai. Hi, everyone. Head of the Biotechnology Unit at the Institute of Advanced Studies in Madrid, Cristina Gonzalez is particularly interested in recovering carbon from waste for the production of biochemicals and biofuels within the idea of the circular economy. Cristina is also involved in stress testing systems to see what goes wrong, when and how to fix it. Hi, Cristina. Hi, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I'm going to turn to Petteri now. The Biofuel Fab is a project conducted by Finranes. Can you tell me a little bit about what's wrong with the way that we currently use things like wheat stalks and other agricultural plant waste and tree chippings? What are we doing wrong at the moment?
1: Well, what we are mainly doing wrong is that we are doing actually quite nothing with those. So uh, in agriculture, the straw, the inedible part of the plant, it's blowed back to the field to release the nutrients. and. Uh, when this uh, straw decays, it releases methane to the atmosphere, which is bad for the climate. In a nutshell, we are not seeing what valuable resources we have around, and we consider them as a waste. Instead, we should have a look at those and identify that Good grief. Uh, it's a valuable resource. It's available everywhere in large quantities. And it may be one of the keys in winning this fight against the climate change.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I, I mean, obviously, we've also, I suppose all of us have seen large sort of fields of arable plants being burnt after they've been harvested as well. I mean, I know that that's um, something that's very controversial, but I myself have certainly seen large fields being, being burnt after sunflowers, for example, and so on.
1: That is true. Uh, Especially in India, they have four harvests a year and the time between the harvest and the next uh, blow is only two weeks. So what do they do? They are not very (laughs) rich, those farmers. So so they pour kerosene into the fields and burn it. And you can read from the newspapers that in New Delhi area, especially winter, the pollution in the air is awful. So uh, that's uh, really awful for me because I can see that they, they are burning money. I care about the climate, but I also care about money.
0: Yeah, you yeah, no, fair enough. And I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely. So that's lose-lose. We often say win-win, that's lose-lose. Okay. Yes, so now, yes. having established that we are wasting these resources and sometimes in a way that is very destructive to the environment, um, what is new about the, the the approach that biofuel fab developed? Can you tell me a little bit about how you process this to make it more accessible?
1: Yes, uh, we break the structure of the lignocellulose. If we go uh, a bit to the ions, the lignocellulose consists of the, the three main uh, compounds. One is cellulose, which can be turned to energy, hemicellulose, which can be turned to energy, and lignin, which is Mother Nature's protection package for the plant to prevent the evil bacteria to access the edible parts. So uh, it's a Mother Nature's package, and that we, of course we respect that. But in the end of the uh, plant's life, we want to bring that energy to use. So uh, we use a process called steam explosion, which is like... a You know, when you cook, for example, carrot, it becomes sweeter than before the cooking. So the steam explosion has two main functions. One is uh, cutting down the long uh, sugar chains, the shorter ones that the bacteria can eat. And uh, another one, which may be even more important, is breaking the structure. These lignine tubes that are protecting the uh, cellulose inside those. The uh, steam explosion breaks the structure It doesn't break the macrostructure, the macrostructure, but it breaks the microstructure. So uh, it's very small opening. So the bacteria can access uh, cellulose and hemicellulose.
0: So basically, we're looking at stuff that's very, very woody and very, very fibrous and very, very dense. And I mean, we look at it and it it feels dense in our hands. And that very density is, of course, off putting to the bacteria themselves as well. So you are making this I'm tempted to say more porous, but that's not quite the right word, I suspect. But anyway, you're making it more accessible and more available to the bacteria so that they can then feed on it. Is that correct?
1: That is very correct. Right.
0: Yeah, but it- <laughs> I put it well.
1: Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Very good. Thank you. What I love about your project is you're you're making this material that has just basically been junked in, in ways that are not favorable to the environment. You're making it more valuable. You're putting a, a value on it because there is a use to it. But I also like the way that you're producing these, these pellets that can then also be used as fuel. So it's you're producing biogas, but you're also producing some sort of pellet system. Can you tell me a little bit more about the pellets that you're producing?
1: Yes. We believe strongly in circular economy. You know Finland, we have wood and we have frost. It's quite quite cold here. So we have. We need to learn all the tricks uh, to utilize everything. So uh, the We, when we have done our process, we have got these biogas. The rest of the material, the digestate, which is mainly lignin, which doesn't turn into biogas. So we want to utilize that and maximize the value for that. We can pelletize that and make uh, that kind of brown pellets, which uh, contain still nutrients of plants because the nutrients don't go away in a biogas process. The digestate is very good for nutrient recycling. And these uh, pellets, they if we, we can make these pellets uh, from uh, pure wood, when uh, they can also be used to replace fossil coal in a coal firing plant. So if you want to cut down 10% of your CO2 emissions in your still existing power, coal-firing power plant, you can use these brown pellets to do that.
0: Okay, so the pellets can be used as fuel, as you've just explained, but they can also be used, yes. uh, you mentioned that the nutrients are preserved in them, so I presume you're then saying that they can also be used as fertilizer?
1: Yes, as a fertilizer and that uh, the digested, the wooded digested before the pelletizing. We don't have to actually necessarily make pellets, but pellets are much more easier to uh, transport. But uh, if we have a farm or agri- farms around, we can take the digestate and it's very, very good because uh, lignin tubes that still exist there, they are very good in capturing water. So uh, if we mix that in the soil, with maybe depleted or otherwise not so fertile So it becomes much much better for the uh, plants to grow. There are nutrients. It's uh, holding uh, water better, and these tiny tiny tubes they uh, provide places for the microbia which is needed for the plants to live there. And uh, some bacteria don't like to live with other bacteria so they can hard- go hiding in their small <laughs> tubes. So it's so a-
0: basically it increases the biodiversity of the bacteria at the roots of the yes. plants. And we've recently yes. had an episode of Core Discovery where we've been talking about soil health and crops, food security, et cetera. So to sum up then, it sounds a little bit like when you put things like uh, artificial coral reefs or, or basically when you put things in water, communities of fish grow up around those things that you have put in water. So like the feet of a jetty or a dock, it always has a lot of biodiversity around the jetty's legs, the support structures. So it sounds a little bit like that, but in soil. So you're putting these microscopic tubes from the plant matter into the soil and it provides an environment for the for the soil bacteria to colonate.
1: Yes. And once we have uh, made the, this uh, commercial product that we can use in digestate there's a lot of carbon that that is in organ because the bacteria have eaten everything that is edible there. It doesn't decay in the ground so we can turn the fields in the carbon sinks and that's a big thing. Because if we think about how much carbon we need to remove from the atmosphere, the only human activity that can handle so much carbon is agriculture. It's available all around the world. So I see a huge possibility here.
0: So just everywhere you look, there are avenues that are enriching rather than just burning the stuff as it stands or just putting it in landfill, I suppose. Okay, that's that's brilliant. Why did you get interested in this? What was it that first inspired you to think, hang on a second, there's a lot of plant material out there that's not being used?
1: Yes, actually, uh, the story goes that I was with my kids in a farm and there was a wheat field and uh, it was uh, in Finland uh, early August was almost a harvest time. So uh, they, the plants were as high as they got. My kids were small, so I couldn't see the kids. I just saw the uh, stocks moving. And then I started to look at the one single uh uh, wheat. So uh, we eat the 10 centimeters from the top, and the half a meter we do nothing. Maybe we blow back, back, back that ground. So uh, that's, that's energy. I know that we can burn that. We can do everything with that. So what would be the best way to utilize that? So uh, not so. <laughs> I got bored when I was <laughs> looking after my kids and came to the idea.
2: There
0: you are, you see, being around children is encouraging to creativity. Yes. <laughs> encouraging to a little bit of exhaustion too, but it's encouraging to creativity. <laughs>
2: Excellent. Yes, yes. Does
0: Does anyone have any questions for Petteri? Yes, um,
3: I would like to ask, uh, is this curiosity, okay? Yes. But under an ideal scenario, okay, how you could use, like, for different uses, that biofuel that you are producing from the lignocellulosic waste in form of biogas, for example. Uh, because I was curious about you you use that biogas in your process, you could have like a self-sufficient from the energetically point of view, like process or not.
0: Super. Thank you very much for the question. Petteri, can you tell us, for example, would you use the biogas that you're creating in order to actually continue to make your plants work? Or do you do you pipe it somewhere for heating? How does that work?
1: Actually, like Jere said, uh, the energy self-sufficiency is, is very important for us. And actually, we are using the digester because it's uh, quite high grade carbon. We can use that to generate the steam. So we are not touching the biogas, the biomethane. So we are providing bionethane for our number one target now is the industry decarbonization. You know that our industry wants to get rid of fossil energy. Electricity is easy. You have wind, you have solar, you can hydropower. But uh, there are a lot of industries that uses natural gas. And to be have a quick and cost-efficient change, the only way is to replace that by bionetane. And there comes the beauty of this lignocellulose because it's available in large quantities. And, uh, well, if I may say so, <laughs> the beauty of the biofuel fab, because it's a large scale facility providing biomethane. We have made a design that fulfills the repower EU's target of a plant from 4 million cubic meters of a biomethane. And then we are talking about industrial scale. So we can uh, build these biofuel fabs with this uh, concept. And they provide biomethane directly to industry use. We get the raw material, the feed, stock, the straw, the wood from the area around. So there's a supply security, there's a local jobs, and there's a prosperity of the area. In the process, we decarbonize the industry. <laughs> and of course, biomethane is nowadays cheaper than natural gas. So it's a win 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 scenario.
0: Oh, absolutely. And um, the digestate, just to clarify, that's the matter that's left after the process. What exactly does digestate mean, please, Petteri?
1: That's a yes, like you said, you are <laughs> nailing it right. So it's a part of the biomass that doesn't turn into bio okay. biomethane.
0: It's a residue.
1: It's a residue, but it's not worthless residue. No, no, it's a very valuable. We can also replace the uh, f- uh, the chemical uh, fertilizers with these uh, digestates
0: because it's so rich in nutrients.
1: Yes, and it's all organic, so uh, you get the organic for free. If you want to have a non-organic, then you have to pay extra.
0: <laughs> yeah, you have to actually add in the chemicals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds fantastic. Yirai, I'm going to turn to you. The Scaliper project focused on the development of different technological solutions to use bio-wastes, mainly urban sewage sludge, as a stock material to produce biogas and hydrogen. Yirai, what is wrong with the way we're currently exploiting sewage sludge to create hydrogen and other biofuels, and how does your system differ?
3: Okay. The main problem is that actually sewage slats is treated in an array digesters that are not economically affordable for, especially for small towns and medium-sized populated cities. Okay, so this is the huge problem. Um, that sewage slats is mainly composed by organic matter, that is the potential feedstock for the production of biofuels. So that's a good thing but it's also composed by pathogens, viruses, and other microorganisms that should be removed while we treat that sewage sludge. So, the lack of this kind of technologies and our digestion uh, becomes a problematic issue, not only in Spain, where up to the 30% of the sewage sludge is produced in small cities, but also all around Europe, where we have huge extensions of rural areas that need this kind of solution. So um, there's another problem is that if we don't treat that sewage sludge, we produce a low, uh, very high loads of bio wastes that should be managed, okay? And that to manage that sewage sludge, we need a lot of transportation. So if we need a lot of transportation, we are also emitting a lot of CO2 to the atmosphere that is not good for anyone. So according to this, it's mandatory to work on the development of low-cost technologies based on conventional anaerobic digesters.
0: Can I just ask you a question, Yirai? Can you explain what you mean by an anaerobic digester, please? What is an anaerobic digester?
3: Yes, is that we treat the urban sewage slats, okay? So we put it in, like, in a reactor without oxygen, and there are a lot of interaction with different microorganisms that they are, like, consuming, oxidizing the organic matter that is in, in that sewage slats, okay? So we can produce biofuels in form of methane, for example, okay?
0: So basically we take the sewage sludge and we can convert it into biomethane. Okay, great. And as you're yes. saying, the problem is infrastructure and cost and having to transport the sewage sludge long distances before it can work. Okay, yes. so can you tell me a little bit about how your system can change that problem or addresses the problem?
3: Of course, because uh, we have to we have performed two different things. We are studying that is that we don't have to forget conventional anaerobic digestion for highly populated cities, for example. But it's important to redesign this technology in order to enhance the efficiency of the process. To enhance the efficiency of the process, we are talking to enhance the methane production in the biogas that is formed during the anaerobic digestion. Okay, in order to recover more energy. For, it, for that biofuel. And the other thing is that for small cities that they can't afford these anaerobic digesters, we are understanding how to perform that anaerobic digestion with low-cost strategies.
0: Right. Can you tell me a little bit more about one of these low-cost strategies? Because, you know, you were telling me about the problem inherent in the notion of having to transport such large amounts of sewage sludge around the country for treatment, etc. So What are some of the solutions you're coming up with to be able to treat the sewage sludge locally with anaerobic digesters that are of a different design?
3: Okay. uh, How we have performed this technology? Just by using like normal recycled plastic bags, okay, but studying the hydraulic system, okay, in order to promote like the mixing and the anaerobic reaction that. that characterize this anaerobic digester. So uh, using that recyclable plastic bags, we can enhance the production of methane that we can also use in the wastewater treatment plants just in order to not use non-renewable energies and just to use our own energy, our own biofuel. That we're producing locally.
0: Okay, so basically you're generating the biofuel, which is then reused in the treatment plant. So it's it is truly circular. Yes, I'm hearing the word recycled plastic bags. Presumably you're using the plastic bags. And indeed, when we talked about this a little bit earlier, you were mentioning to me that you you have very robust, strong containers. Could you just describe the containers a little to me?
3: Of course. Yes, They are composed of recycled plastic. Okay, it's not plastics. It's like a biopolymer. Okay, so it's also more like sustainable, okay? It's not like raw plastic from non-renewable energies. So we are like trying to design these kind of systems. We have designed this kind of system, but taking into account the circular economic principles, okay? Just to not use like raw plastic, but these biopolymers that are great, and they have been manufactured with recycled feedstocks, okay?
0: Okay, so-, so wonderful. So you're taking waste plastic, you're turning it into these robust Strong containers very that strong. have a long life because that's what you told me. So they they, yes. they last for a long time and they're very strong. <laughs> so it's all plastic bags. Yes,
3: it's very for it, It's very important to 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 notice that are very very strong because yes. what we <laughs> we can't use those kind of plastic bags that are not plastic. Okay, biopolymer yeah. bags. We are not sure that they will last for a long time. Right, exactly. Because sewage slats should not be disposed of us.
0: Yeah, you, you don't want any leaks and also it's a green solution. Great, right, it's wonderful. So you're recycling the plastic to create the containers and the containers are producing biomethane, which is then being fed back into the sewage treatment plant for the processing. I think that's fantastic. Yes. That's a lovely, elegant solution. Thank you. Um, I right. it's incredibly important domain clearly and I started it with the IPcc's a little extract from their report but can I ask you why you personally decided to get involved in this domain
3: from the professional point of view sorry I think it's Feels great, right, yes, to develop new technologies for the production of that kind of biofuels. But personally, um, I'm from a very small town in the middle of Spain where innovative technologies have not been present. Okay. So it's also an opportunity just to design technical solutions for that people, or people like me from rural areas. Okay. Just to show them that Europe and the researchers are trying to give them like innovative tools. Okay. To solve environmental problems that we face also day by day, but also to make them feel that we all count on them too. Okay, so for me, it's very special just to send this kind of solution for people like me, for them, rural areas.
0: Yeah, no, that's 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 fascinating. And so, I mean, in rural areas, not just in Spain, but across Europe generally, in 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 towns that are small, which can't afford these large sort of anaerobic digesters for their sewage production, what actually happens to the sewage now? Is what's the status quo?
3: They have to manage that sewage sludge externally. Okay, so we have that kind of problem. First of all, it costs a lot of money, but this, uh, from the, uh, on the other hand, we need a lot of transportation, as I said before, mm, okay, so yeah. we are emitting a lot of the CO2 that is not good for the atmosphere at all, and we need to avoid that.
0: Yeah. So basically, they truck it out to sewage plants that can handle it. Okay. Yes. Super. Thank you very much. That was very interesting. Can I ask if anyone has any questions for Irai? Well, I have an extra question for you that was making me really curious. If there's one real takeaway from your work that you would like wastewater treatment companies to appreciate or to understand, what would that be, Irai? What would be the, the key thing that you feel is important from your work?
3: Okay, Yes. for example, for private companies, I think they need to, to look for the sustainable thing, okay? We need to to try to not only to treat the wastewater and the sewage slats, but we also have to protect their, okay, the environment. But I feel extremely happy that I'm working in a, in a private company, that they really care about this kind of solution that we have explained before, okay? So, because it's the company that they are, try to promote also this kind of technologies that we have developed during the Scalibur project. And we have technical references, not only in Spain, but in the Czech Republic and in the next months, we will install and start up this kind of solution also in France, in Portugal. So I feel extremely lucky that that my company thinks about the environment.
0: Yeah, because what I'm hearing from you as somebody who's working within that kind of company is that it, 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 you know, it makes you feel very supportive of your organization and you feel connected to it because you can see that it's doing stuff that's important. Excellent. Thank you very much. you right. That's super. Thank you very much. Christina, I'm going to turn to you now. Christina, you worked on the Prodigio project, which wanted to focus on microalgae biogas, and you can tell us more about what that actually means in a minute. But you were also interested in stress testing systems like your eyes. So, can you tell us more about what you're testing and why?
2: Yes, uh, we are testing how some common perturbations might affect the anaerobic digestion bioprocess. And this bioprocess consists, uh, in fact, we are using microalgae as a feedstock. And then in the anaerobic digestion, you have some anaerobic microorganisms that they are going to degrade this microalgae. And during the degradation, they're going to produce biogas, which is the biofuel that we are interested on. Uh, this biogas can be later upgraded and compressed to use it as a biofuel. Why do we do these perturbations? Why do we study these perturbations? Because these perturbations are indeed what happens in uh, real life. But the problem is that whenever you want to realize that this perturbation has taken place, it's too late and the system has failed and it takes too long to be to be recovered. So, Christina,
0: if I may ask you, what type of perturbations are you looking at? When we say perturbations, what kind of stresses are you looking at and considering?
2: We are... Um, Most common ones is either the system is not getting fed because some pump uh, has been broken and then the microorganisms are not getting their food. Or the other way around, uh, pump has... uh, Accelerated. (laughs) Yeah, some dramatic uh, changes there that is uncontrolled. And then the microorganisms are getting too much food. So either starvation or overloading of food.
0: But also I believe you're looking at sort of other kind of chemical transactions going on within the anaerobic digester because of, I could say, perhaps contamination. Could you tell me a little bit about that sort of thing?
2: You mean that these chemicals, for instance, the other chemicals we are um, we are checking is the intrusion of salinity, for instance, because... There you
0: go, beyond.
2: Tell us more about that. You might be close to the coast with uh, your microalgae system. You grow microalgae, so you get salt because salt is everywhere. So then it's ends up in the anaerobic digestion and then your microorganisms are going to fight with this salinity. Right. So there you have a second another type of perturbations and also because we are always feeding microalgae you can, when you grow microalgae, you can use pesticides and antibiotics to get your robust, uh, a robust uh, microalgae growth and at the end these chemicals will go with the biomass with this microalgae into the digesters. So these are the kind of chemicals we are also looking at to see how the microbial uh, anaerobic population, these ones that they are degrading this organic matter, how do they behave? Right. And what sort of things are you finding? What we are uh, seeing is uh, how do they uh, react? What are the signals that they are telling us that something is going wrong? Mm -hmm. So we look at biological signals, uh, some chemical signals or physical signals. We check all kinds of parameters. For you to, we like to make this uh, comparison to like a Jenga tower, you know, this game that has blocks. So anaerobic digestion is something similar. If you feed it, no problem. If you remove one block, there is no problem. But if you keep on removing, you are going to reach uh, a moment in which your tower is going to be unstable. So this is our tipping point. And when you remove one, it's not going to be gradually anymore. It's going to be like the tower is going down. So this is exactly what we see, that our methane production is going down. Uh, the digester has failed.
0: So, of course, the beauty of your work then, obviously, is that you can identify these triggers and then what, you communicate these to to waste management treatment plants or or how does it work practically once you've discovered these interesting kind of connections? How do you get the information out there so they can change what happens in the treatment?
2: Yeah, indeed. Uh, Yeah, this would be the ideal uh, situation in which we can transfer the knowledge we have because we are in the second year, so we still have a lot of things to learn. Sure. But uh, every time we go to a conference, to events with the stakeholders, they are really interested. On okay, let me know what are the signals that they are going to tell you that the the system, the the anaerobic digestion is going to fail, because now operators just operate the plants without uh, whenever they want to realize it's too late. So yeah. if you can get the signals ahead, this would be tremendously uh, useful.
0: Yeah, no, clearly. I think I think that's great. Absolutely. And then, you know, you'd have continuity of production and it would be a little tweak before everything got really out of yeah, control. Yeah, yeah. Super. Okay, you, you mentioned microalgae. I mean, tell me a little bit more about how they're used in, in biogas production.
2: We use microalgae indeed because uh, we see it as uh, some microorganisms that can help you treating wastewater. Because conventionally you use, this is the conventional system, You use aerobic bacteria to degrade the contaminants that you have in wastewater. But they are aerobic, so therefore they need oxygen. And this can be like 50% of the total cost of the treatment. So instead, what we do is make them play uh, bacteria, aerobic bacteria, with microalgae. Because microalgae at the end, they are like tiny plants they uptake CO2 and they release oxygen so this is the oxygen that bacteria is going to need afterwards
0: oh i see and that's what you mean by feed in fact it's almost yeah it's like it's it is a
2: kind of feeding but you mean basically giving them the air they need to breathe in the growth system yeah is you're giving them the oxygen to degrade the contaminants and then you get the whole biomass you harvest this biomass microalgae and bacteria and you take them to the anaerobic digester you degrade them And you get your biogas, your biofuel. So, in fact, there's like a double phase of use from them. Yeah, indeed. It's a win-win situation because you treat wastewater and you get energy. So,
0: yeah. No, it's. I love this. I thought, like I said, right at the very beginning, it's all incredibly neat. I mean, we've got Yirei's bags that are being recycled to make really strong containers for local communities to, to use for for treatment and, and you using the microalgae to, to perpetuate the process. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. You mentioned this a little bit, actually, when you said that there is interest when you go to conferences and so on with companies asking you for more information. Um, can I ask you, I know that the project is ongoing and you're, you know, as you say, in year two, but looking ahead, do you believe that there will be uptake of this idea? Because it does sound very neat, but at the same time, it's a disruptive technology and we all know how difficult it is to get established ways to change. You know, um, do you think that there will be a lot of uptake and interest uh, when you're done?
2: I think there is going to be interest because we are seeing already interest every time we go somewhere. It's like, OK, when are you going to have this model uh, ready? to know when my uh, biological system, because at the end it's biology, you don't see it uh, immediately is what we say. So yeah, and we're talking about bacteria. So they are really small and you, you you cannot know what is, what they're doing until in fact, you see the response. So if you can have this predicting model that can tell you, okay, if you are having this chemical, your system is going wrong. So uh, this, I mean, for operators of plants, uh, big companies like the one of JRI. I mean, this can be tremendously useful. And uh, yeah, they are, uh, I hope, I really hope, <laughs> that uh, at the end of the project, we can have this model and we can uh, transfer it to uh, companies.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm particularly seeing a user case scenario where you might, for example, have an anaerobic digester treating sewage sludge somewhere coastal, as you said, and maybe, for example, there is an ingress of, of salinity coming from the environment and they might not know that that's even happening because it's all Indeed. invisible and, and bam, suddenly nothing's working. Well, listen, thank you so- much for your time. I personally, I'm really glad we've had this conversation because biofuels, biomass, even anaerobic digester, these are terms that we see more and more frequently. But yeah, it's just fantastic having three experts here to explain what they actually mean, why they matter, and where we hope we're going to be going in the future. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been lovely having you. I've really appreciated it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast and are interested in the latest scientific research coming out of the EU, have a listen to previous episodes. Follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Are you curious about what other EU-funded projects are doing to boost our use of biofuels? The Cordis website will give you an insight into the results of projects funded by Horizon 2020 and Horizon Europe that are working in this area. The website has articles and interviews that explore the results of research being conducted in a very broad range of domains and subjects, from antibiotics to antimatter. There's something there for you. Maybe you're involved in a project or would like to apply for funding. Take a look at what others are doing in your domain. So come and check out the research that's revealing what makes our world tick. We're always happy to hear from you. Drop us a line, editorial at cordis.europa.eu. Until next time. Thank yeah. you.